scripture reading today comes from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Very familiar portion of scripture for, um, for many of you. And Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy, and he says something to him that um, we need to hear and accept. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So children, Selinda thinks I forgot, but I haven't, not this time. You can follow her to Children's Church. You know, I really don't know where they put them on those classrooms. They must be on their own another's shoulders. Uh, would, you, um, would you pray with me again? before the ministry of the word. Father, you know, when we come here on Sunday morning, um, I know we we often come from um, different places in our hearts and our emotions and our backgrounds. And and yet you bring us here to uh, build us together into a church a place where your spirit can dwell. And the word that we look at is your word, and it's for your people for all time. And Lord, we gather around it because we understand that it is inspired by you, that it's true, and that in this book, are contained all the truths that we need um, to live in this world and to live forever with you. And we understand, Lord, that um, this word isn't just information, but it's life to us. And the old pastors talked about breaking the bread of life to their people as they open the word of God. And it really is the bread of life to us. So as we come here this morning, we ask that you would feed our souls and that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. And Lord, if you do that for us, if you'll feed us, speak to us. By your grace, we will try to take what you give us and obey you and serve you. And Father, I understand that uh, that whatever I bring here, uh, whenever I come to this place, is just simply not enough. Left to itself, it's just not. And so I ask that you would take what I have here today and multiply it and feed your people and me also. 
And we offer you this time in our prayers in the wonderful, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today um, we're uh, beginning a new study uh, on the book of the Revelation. Now, most of you here are going to be relieved to know that I will not be setting any dates. While some of you may be disappointed that I won't be identifying the Antichrist. Uh, For the disappointed, let me assure you, on the authority of God's word and God's timing, the Antichrist will be revealed, but not one moment before. Some of you, however, may be disappointed in this study for, uh, in a different way for a different reason. You see, we're not going to be looking at the book of Revelation in the light of any particular end-time teaching. I, I won't be trying to show you how everything fits together with one another. That's really not my job. My job is really quite different uh, from that, my job as a teacher of God's word is to help you to understand as much as we can, as much as you can, as much as we can, what this book teaches. And that involves trying to discover um, what it meant to those to whom it was originally addressed and sent, and uh, then seeing how that applies to us today. And that really is our task whenever we study the Scriptures. We're simply doing here with the book of Revelation what we always do with any portion of God's Word. I have to tell you, I believe that when we get to the end of our study, however long that might take us as we make our way through this book, I really believe you're going to have a better grasp of this writing than you had when we began. You may not know how everything fits together. Uh, You may not understand all the symbols in the book, but you will have an appreciation of what God wants to communicate to his church, what he has communicated down through the centuries, and what he wants to say to us here today. I have to tell you that um, the first message of any series uh, is usually the hardest one for the teacher, and it's often um, really the most difficult one for those who are listening. Uh, you see, when you're in the midst of a, of a series, there's a kind of context for each succeeding message that we share together, and, and even someone who comes in in the middle of that, that uh, series can kind of get a sense of that context as we refer to things that we've already talked about, uh, but the first message doesn't have that kind of context, and yet it's not without its context. It, it's just that that's a bit larger. It's, it's bigger. It's based on our general knowledge of God's Word, and that means that we have to work a little bit harder when we first begin, and so that's what I'm asking you to do with me. I'm asking you to do that with me, to work harder with me and trying to understand this portion of God's Word. And I can tell you, if you do, it will be worth the effort that you put into it. So what I want to do today is we want to begin. We want to take our first step together uh, toward trying to understand the book of the Revelation. And our text is uh, found in chapter 1, and it's verses 1 through 3, the opening paragraph or so of that book. And you can join me in your Bible, and of course it's on the screen uh, on either side of me. And so we're going to begin, as often we do, in 
And we'll do that by reading the passage. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, the first thing that we want to do today is we want to see how this writing came to us, how, how we got what we have here, what we know of as the book of the Revelation. And, and in our legal system, the police and attorneys and, and judges are concerned with something they call the chain of custody, which, uh, which really refers to the chronological documentation of the paper trail of, uh, that, that shows the seizure and custody and control and transfer and analysis of uh, evidence that's gathered at a crime scene or an accident. And, and the reason they're concerned in that is, is to guard it. They, they want to guard that evidence so that that which is gathered at those places, a crime scene or an accident, uh, is actually what's discovered there. Um, and so a police officer uh, shouldn't leave a bag of evidence sitting on a table in McDonald's and he walks up to the counter to get a hamburger. If he does that, he's broken that chain of custody. Uh, anyone could do something uh, to that evidence while he's not looking. And, and that chain of custody ensures that when that judgment is made in that courtroom, that it's based on the actual evidence that was found at the beginning of the investigation. Now, something like that is going on in these first two verses. Only here, it really is going in the other direction. God has given something uh, to us in these in these verses that... Uh, that uh, has this chain of custody, and, and he wants to ensure that what we have is what he wants us to have. And so we see in verse 1 here the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. And so the Father gave this revelation to the Son, but he gave it to the Son for us. And and so that's the beginning of this chain of custody, if we can call it that. There's more to the process, more to this chain of custody, but I want to stop here for just a moment, and I want to examine what we find here. So when we see right here, and that, just that short passage I read really should be familiar to us. It's, it's this pattern that we've seen before in the life of Jesus Christ. It's a pattern, pattern of the Father giving something to the Son to pass on to us. This is not new to us. It's, it's exactly what happened when Jesus was here on the earth. Jesus told us, for instance, that his words that he spoke were the words that the Father gave him to speak. He tells us that the things that he did are the things that the Father gives him to do, the very things that the Father himself does. He tells us that he doesn't do anything except what the Father does. And that continues today. The Son is in submission to the Father, even though he's equal to him, and Revelation will make that abundantly clear as we as we study it in these coming weeks. But the Father is a source, and the Son receives it 
for us. And so it comes from the trustworthy father to the trustworthy son. And once Jesus has it, he uses an angel to deliver it to John. And again, at the end of verse 1, he says, he, that is Jesus, made it known by sending his angel to the son. So this chain of custody so far is that God has given the revelation to his son who entrusts it to an angel to give to John. The process isn't finished, but again, I'm going to stop here for a moment. Um, Maybe you, like me, are wondering why we find an angel in this process at all. I think there's a couple of things that we can say about that. First, um, you know, God often uses angels to communicate with human beings. In fact, the, the word for angel in both the Hebrew and the Greek is really the word for messenger. A- angels are messengers, you see. They may be more than that. Indeed, they really are more than that. But it is such an important role that they have that it has become their title, the messenger, the angel. And so God uses them to communicate to his people, especially at certain times and places when there's a special communication that needs to happen. He sent Gabriel. He sent uh, to him to talk with Daniel and to talk with, uh, with the two ladies um, at the birth of Christ. So God uses angels. And, um, and also angels or these messengers, again, they play a large role in the spiritual war that we're engaged in. Now, I see you sitting out there, and, and, and you don't look like you're engaged in a war. And the truth of the matter is, is we don't often think that we are. But the reality is different. We are engaged in this war, even if we don't see it. And, and this book of the Revelation really does reveal much of what these angels do in this battle that really is raging all around us, even if we don't see it. Finally, the message that is given is... Um, is a symbolic message. I'll say more about that in just a minute, but you see what happens here is this giving of this revelation follows a pattern that we see in the book. John is in exile on the island of Patmos because of the word of God. He's in a spiritual war, and the angel delivers the message to him, which in a sense becomes part of our battle against evil. And, and the message, again, it comes in this symbolic form. And we'll talk more about that. But, but because of that, God uses an angel to deliver it. And there's really no doubt about this. Uh, this vision, this is a vision of some kind, and it is absolutely full of symbolic meaning. For example, in this chapter, chapter 1, and then again in chapter 19, Jesus is pictured with a sword coming out of his mouth. And we know that when he returns, he's not going to be clenching a sword between his teeth, and he's not going to be shaking his head, cutting down his enemies. It's a symbol. It's a picture. In fact, the Bible tells us that sword is the word of God. And so this book is full of symbolism. And um, and so we uh, have to be ready to interpret it. So God has given this revelation to his son 
who gives it to an angel, who then delivers it to John as a vision, and then John delivers it to us. So verses 1 and 2, we read again, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And he made it known by sending an angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. So John sees this vision, which the angel delivers to him. It comes from the Father through Jesus, and he writes down everything that he sees and everything that he heard, and that vision becomes the word of God into us. And we see that at the end of verse 2. John sees a vision, and he testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So, so John writes this vision down. It's the word of God, and it's recorded for us, and it's delivered to the church for us to read. And that's the entire chain of custody. The father gives a revelation to the son who, who sends it by an angel to John, who sees the vision and records it, and then it comes to us. Now, I have to tell you, there's a reason that's here. It's, it's put in the scripture. We're told all of this, first off, because it's how it happened. And second, it, 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 we're told these things so we can understand how the writing came to us and that it's trustworthy and it's true. It comes from the Father and through the Son. It's delivered by an angel to a trustworthy man, an apostle who records for us the word of the living God. And, and, and this tells us this because it also helps us to understand what kind of message we have here. Revelation is a vision. It's a symbolic representation of truth. And it is given as such to God's people. So John wrote what he saw and he heard in this vision. But because of it's a vision, you know, it doesn't make it any less true. I think sometimes that's what we think. We think, well, it's just symbolism. But symbolism stands for something, and, 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 and it, just because it comes in that term, it doesn't make it less true. And, and, and I think we want to try to understand something of why he did this. Why did he use symbolism to try to communicate these truths to us? Well, maybe we can begin simply by saying this. Symbols can be powerful tools for communication. Now, you know, we use symbols every day in our culture. You can be driving down the road, you can see an eight-sided red sign, and you don't need to see the word stop to realize that that's what that sign means. See an upside-down yellow or red triangle, and you know that means to yield. You see a circle with a slash through it, and you know that means don't do whatever is shown, whatever picture is shown in that circle. On my range at home, we have these symbols on it, you know, right there where the knob is for the burner. There's this little, like, line drawing done in some kind of perspective to show you which burner that uh, knob is operating. It drives me crazy. I can read. I wish it'd say front or back. And every time I look at it, I have to take the time and decipher it. And if I'm in a hurry, I invariably get it wrong. And so there are some symbols that really do... Uh, take more deciphering. And those are really are pretty mundane things, but symbols really can be powerful. I mean, you've heard that statement, haven't you? A picture is worth a thousand words. Well, symbols are like that. 
In fact, they can be even more powerful than a picture because they can, you know, communicate truths that a camera can't capture. Nobody can take a picture of love. But you can take a picture of a mother who's tenderly holding a child, and that represents love. And we look at that picture, and we don't see they're just a woman and a child. We actually see love. And there are all sorts of examples in the Bible where, where things are used uh, symbolically. That's what all the parables are. They're used to, to teach us something, to tell us something we see here in this world and use it to apply to the world to come. And some of the most powerful ones were parables that were acted out by Jesus when he came to that fig tree that had no fruit on it and he cursed it and it withered. That was a, a demonstration. It was a symbolic teaching of what it meant to the nation of Israel not to bear fruit. And so the The Bible really is full of symbols, and they can be powerful communications of the truth. And and I I also want you to understand something else. I think symbols, they can often, and they often do, bypass the intellect. You see, we don't always understand what they mean with our mind, but we can comprehend them with our heart. And so you know that prayer that Paul writes in Ephesians when he prays for the Ephesians. He makes this really, really wonderful statement. He says, he he prays that the Ephesians would know the love of God which surpasses understanding. So there's a way in which the Ephesians could know that love, and yet it was beyond their ability to comprehend mentally. Sometimes symbols are like that. And so the symbols that we come across in, in Revelation really are powerful tools used, intended to communicate God's truth to us. And God chose them. He chose to use symbols, and he chose what they are. So we, of course, have to be careful as we interpret them. So when we come to these symbols, you know, some of them, we just simply know what they mean. For instance, iron indicates strength, but uh, it also shows the temporal nature of things because it rusts and it it can be corrupted. And yeah, that's pretty much true everywhere in the world. And gold represents worth, but but it doesn't rust, so it has lasting value. And we don't have to be told this. We we just know it. It seems to be common to all cultures, cultures. Circles... Sometimes circles represent infinity and sometimes inclusion and sometimes exclusion. In the case of circles, we have to let the context tell us what it means. And some symbols, we just don't know the meaning. But often we're told, and that's true in the book of Revelation. For example, uh, an eight-sided red sign would mean absolutely nothing to you and probably doesn't mean anything to people in other parts of the world unless someone had told you at some point in your life that it means that you should stop. So Revelation sometimes tells us exactly what a symbol means. And when it says what it means, that's what it means. Although sometimes Revelation might change the meaning of the symbol or make it even different or deeper in meaning. And sometimes, sometimes when we're reading in that book, we don't know what that means. We don't know what that stands for. And I have to tell you something. That's okay. 
That's okay if we don't know. Because you see, we're only responsible for what we do know. And it just may be that that symbol has somehow gotten past our mind and is at work in our heart and our will for our good. Now, there's one more thing on this topic that I want to mention before we kind of move on, and and that is, is that we have to guard against putting our meaning into the Bible's illustrations or symbols. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and, and, uh, at the end of his life here. And, and we're told that at some point some Pharisees come up and say, you need to leave this place because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, go tell that fox that... Um, I have to travel today and the next day and the third day and arrive in Jerusalem because a prophet has to die in Jerusalem, right? And when we hear that, we think what he's saying is something like, go tell that sly old dog. But you know, that's not at all what the people in Jesus' day heard. They did not associate foxes with, um, with slyness at all. They associated them with something else. And if you've ever been around a fox or a fox's den or cages where foxes are grown, you know they stink. They smell every bit as bad as a skunk. They just can't spray you. And what Jesus is saying there is, tell that skunk, I'm going to keep going where I need to go. And so we don't want to put our meanings in God's word, but he's the one who gave us that word. He's given us this book and this symbol and and he's the one who chose to do that and he's the one that invests it with their meaning and we may not understand it all but we can grasp what we need to know especially if we're willing to put a little work into it now i want us to notice something here uh, and i want us to notice it by asking and answering a question who did god intend to be the ultimate receiver of the truths contained in this book that comes in wrapped in this garb of, of symbolism. Well, the text tells us in verse 1, we read the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants. And that means you and me. It means us here. It means the church. In verse 3, tells us that, that, that uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy and, prophecy, and blessed are, are the ones who... Uh, who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. And again, we see that it's given for the church. Now, in those days, most people um, couldn't read and they couldn't afford books even if they could. And so when the church gathered together, someone who was able to would read the scriptures to them. That's why it said, blessed is him that reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And so that person is being a blessing to others, and so he's blessed. And God's people would hear that word, and they'd meditate on it, and they would try to take it and put it into practice in their lives. At least they try to do that. And they were blessed, for the text says, blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, or keep what is written there, because the time is near. Now that process of reading the word and hearing and keeping it is true for all of God's word. And it's true here. So what we learn is that this vision is the word of God. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it's prophecy. And it must be treated as such. But like all of God's word, it's given to the church specifically 
to God's people, to you and I. So we don't need someone to stand between us and the text. It's for us, and God intends us to read it and understand it as much as we can and to keep what we learn from it just as we do with all of his word. Now, the text is more difficult. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we need to be cautious. I mean, if we can twist other scriptures to our own destruction, we can certainly do that with this one. And yet, once again, God in his wisdom has given it to us. Do you know, I have, in reading commentaries, there are people who have actually been angry at God for putting this in his word because so many people have done such bad things with it. And yet, God put it there, and it's there for us. Now, I want you to do something. I'm going to ask you to try to do something. I I know you're busy people, but I want to ask you to try to do something. I want you to sit down sometime. It doesn't take about an hour. I want you just to take that book and the book of the Revelation and just read through it. Don't try to figure out anything. Don't try to see how something fits here or there. Just read it. Just let it speak to you. Most of the time, when when people in our day and age come to that book of Revelation, they are so busy trying to make it fit or figure out how it fits in something that they can't hardly pay attention to the text. And if you make up your mind to sit down and just read it and just let it speak to you, you will be amazed, I think, you will be amazed at how it affects you. Now, there's one more thing that I want to do today. I want to talk about time zones. (laughs) These time zones that I'm going to talk about sometimes have a bearing on the way we interpret that word soon that we've read in the text, such as when it says God gave it to him to show his servants what must soon take place. But sometimes they don't have anything to do with that and and so we have to understand that word soon in a different way but we're that's a discussion for another day and we will come back to it for now i just want to talk about the time zones and there are three of them in the book of the revelation the third one is the time of the new heaven and the earth the new earth the, the other two are the last days and the day of the lord now throughout the old testament we are taught that we are living in the last days. And those last days are all the days from the resurrection until the second coming of Christ. So we're living in them right now. The day of the Lord is the very end, the very last of the last days. And it's that complex of events that immediately surround the return of the Lord. And that day of the Lord can happen at any time. And so the churches that John wrote to, because he wrote to seven of them in chapters 2 and 3, the churches that John wrote to were living in the last days. And they suffered some of the kinds of things which we see as we read through the book of the Revelation, the things that happened and recorded for us that happened in the day of the Lord. But they didn't experience all that is there. They lived and they suffered, and they died without ever seeing the comeuppance of the wicked, without ever seeing the wicked judged. And that's going to happen in the very last days. 
And this is important to us. Because you see, we live in the last days. And we may be having reason to think that we are um, living at the very last of the last days, that the day of the Lord is upon us, but we can't be sure of that. And, And all over our world today, there are people who are suffering and dying for their faith. We can't know how many thousands of Christians ISIS alone has killed in the last few months. All over our world today, people who claim Christ are suffering. Ethiopia, they're being attacked, crucified, killed. Children are being turned into slaves. Women are being made into Muslim wives. It is happening all over. And the truth of the matter is, my friends, it starting here. And and if you don't see that, you just don't have your eyes open. I don't know how far it's going to go. I I just don't know. But two years ago, there was a woman who refused. She had a bakery. And because she's a Christian, she wouldn't provide a wedding cake for a couple of men that wanted to get married. A lot of other bakers would do it. But they sued her. Now the state without any legal standing, is trying to sue her. They're trying to take her house from her. It's been going on for two years. It's happening with forests. The Affordable Care Act is mandating that you pay for abortion. And the state of California has said that every institution, including churches, have to provide that kind of care. That's where it starts. We can pray and hope that that tide will turn, but that is where it starts. It's what the revelation does for us, what it did for the churches in John's day, what it's done down through the ages for believers all over the world who have faced and are facing trials and tribulations brought on by the wicked is to tell us, simply put, that God, and therefore his people win. It it tells us that there is a spiritual battle raging all around us, even if we can't see it. And that that battle has always been raging between good and evil and the evil one who wants to destroy the people of God. It tells us that we have a part in that battle by the things we do and the choices that we make. It tells us that God and not Satan, not the wicked, not kings, not presidents, not governors, but God Almighty is in control and that he is moving history to a designated end where God will reign and the righteousness will be the order of the day where the faithful will be blessed and they'll know no sorrow ever again and the wicked will be judged. It tells us of the day when the dwelling of God will be with his people. So you can speculate. You can try to figure out what 666 means. 
You can try to figure out who the Antichrist is. You can try to, to think about what's the date of his coming. The revelation was given to us to show us in a very powerful way that there's this battle raging around us and sometimes it comes out in the open and we feel it, see it, and experience it. That God is in control and one day One day, he'll bring it all to an end. You know that? You might just be willing to face what might come our way. It's not an easy book. But there's a blessing associated with it. Don't be afraid of it. Come back. Let's study it together and see what God has for us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you once again for your goodness to us. And Lord, I'm, it, it, it's not an easy message. Today's a lot of kind of intricate details. and We're only just beginning to talk about some of the things that, that we've read and heard about and capture our attention Lord, we really want to hear you in this word. We want to silence any other voice that might compete with you. And we want to hear you. And today, Father, I just pray that you help us to to take to heart that you intend this for us. And somehow, it will feed our souls. And help us even, even in the day of persecution and before. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.